More than 400 years ago, an African samurai carried his sword across Japan and made a name for himself. Now, a Netflix show has given that name a second shot at celebrity by turning the true story of Yazuke into a six-episode anime series. Which brings us to this question. What can fantasy reveal about our untold history, and how can it help inform our future? This is Mad Unreal, episode 37. Let's go. Arturius Maximus. You are two episodes into Yasuke. What do you think that, so far? That's correct. I am intrigued. I am not a... I'm not that familiar with anime, mm-hmm. but I recognize I recognize the art when I see it. And of little of it as I have seen with my son, mm-hmm. I feel that the approach to this series uh, is... is true anime mm. it it tells this it's almost like it, the only way that we would i felt like the only way that we would get this kind of story is through an animated series mm-hmm. um and i don't know if interesting robots Inter- actually existed in <laughs> back in feudal 16th japan. century japan interesting yeah. enough i think chadwick bozeman before he passed had I don't know if he had a deal, but there was there was mm. talk of him, you know, doing a a film, live action film um, about Yasuke. Oh, really? Um, and okay, we're gonna say this at the beginning of the show because we always wait till we halfway into the show. But spoiler alert for the first two episodes, at least at this point, uh, Yasuke dropped on Netflix like at the you know three days ago. We're recording this on May second, so I think it was like three days ago. At this point, Arthur has watched two episodes. I've watched four. Um, It's a six-episode season, so we're going to stick within those two episodes. Um, So spoiler alert for the first two episodes of Yasuke. And by the time you guys hear this, you should have had time to burn through the entire um, season. Again, it's only six episodes. Yeah, I'll get Um, done through the rest of it today. But yeah, to to your point, um, you know, anime is interesting. I've been a fan of anime since I was, you know, probably preteen. Um, I remember in, but there's a caveat to that, but I remember in, when I was very young, um, going into my teens, there was a, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, there was a, where I grew up, there was a, um, uh, annual festival, um, Mm -hmm. at the Drexel theater, which was like the kind of the art house theater. There was a Japanimation, um, thing, you know, and they would just do, Mm -hmm. you know, a Japanese anime, you know, for like a week or two weeks or whatever. Um, and you could go, you know, get a ticket and stay all day. Um, and so, I, I, you know, and then, of course, you had the VHS tapes, you know, back in mm-hmm. the day of, you know, the anime that you could get through, uh, you know, certain places. And but I kind of, you know, anime kind of fell off my radar, radar, I think, my in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I do have that's why I said there's a caveat. So I'm more familiar with it than you are. Um, and I there's certain, you know, Americanized anime that I love. You know, I'm a huge fan of the Robotech series. Um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, arguably, you know, maybe anime, maybe not, but whatever. There's other series that I just, you know, of course, you know, some of the, the Star Wars, you know, uh, not Star Wars, the Star Wars, um, like mm-hmm. uh, Ninja Scroll, you know, which is a, a famous. Yeah, I've heard film. of Ninja Scroll. I mean, yeah. the extent of my experience is like Voltron, and I don't even know if that's like real. 
Yeah, I mean, like anime. I said, there was there was a lot of anime that started in Japan, but then became, you know, came over here and they redid them or they just, you know, Americanized them to mm-hmm. some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, you know, some real deep cuts that I can't even get to because or can't even name drop right now because it's been so long. Um, that's why I said I've been away from it. But to your point, yeah, there are some very familiar um, tropes mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. Yasuke. Mm-hmm that you know <laughs> that really adhered to you know the anime vibe you know the the idea of these robots and the sorcery and everything in feudal japan um that's a very you know familiar trope if you've watched you know a lot of this anime before so yeah if you haven't seen it i guess it would it would be very odd you know for you to be watching this and all of a sudden you know that robot jumps out of the sky comes yeah. up dropping out of the sky you're like wait a minute, what the fuck? i thought this was like 1582 like what's going on right it was I was like, wait a minute. Like, it was like the opening sequence, which I thought was very good. Mm-hmm. It it felt like it felt like the climax to Infinity War. Oh yeah, you texted me that. Yeah. So you, you, are you talking about the um the, the, the opening, opening sequence? Yeah. Um, the colors and the the war and just you know yeah yeah and the war yeah. and like they had you know the the invading army had these <laughs> giant you know mech robots and they were shooting out lasers and stuff and mm, you know our okay, guys yeah, had yeah. the, the had, just episode, had swords. Right. And I'm like, this is th- this is like the first wave of Thanos's invasion. <laughs> right, right. So, but the first two episodes, though, you're you're feeling the, you're into it. Yeah, I'm getting into it. Um, I I really what really got me into it was the um was the um the appearance of the priest. Mm, the Catholic priest. Yeah. Assuming I'm assuming and he's Catholic, right? I'm assuming too, based mm. on how he was how he was dressed. Right. Um, he's fairly sadistic. Mm. ironically and um he wants he wants this young very powerful child a girl who yazuke is reluctantly taking under his um care under his not his wing really but protection under his protection Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because he lives by several um types of several codes Mm-hmm. But and we learn this in episode two mm-hmm. that um, one of his strongest codes is the idea that all children should be right. protected Which and I, cared for. I want to definitely get into that. I think that's going to play into what we're going to talk about today. I want to definitely get into that in a minute. Um, so, but yeah, but you, I mean, as a, as a as a as a as a fan and mm-hmm. an admirer of this genre of of animation, how did you feel about it? Visually, you know, just talk about the visual aspect for a minute. It's gorgeous, man. I, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, and you see this style of animation, um, and I'm sure there's a technical term for it that I'm, I'm not I'm not hip enough or knowledgeable enough to drop. But this style of animation, I've seen a lot of it and you see its influence on some of the American um, cartoons. Even this guy, the, the show is created by um, a director named LaShawn Thomas. Um, yeah. This is a brother. He's born in uh, uh, New York. I believe he lives in Tokyo now. Um, and he had, he was involved in the boondocks. You can, and you know, the boondocks, mm-hmm. um, Aaron Magruder's the boondocks, um, animated series it, from the outset, you saw the influence of, you know, Japanese animation on that show, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which played into, um, even, even in, within the narrative of the show itself played into Huey's, you know, appreciation of Japanese culture and samurai culture in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the yeah, show was created by, um, LaShawn Thomas, um, directed by, um, uh, LaShawn Thomas, largely by LaShawn Thomas and Takeru Sato, um, written by uh, Nick Jones Jr., I think wrote the first couple episodes, but then also I see credit to here are LaShawn 
Thomas, um, Alex Larson, Flying no- Flying Lotus has a written by credit. I'm sure that's referring to the score. So look, just quickly, music or visually gorgeous, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. some of the, the kind of the vistas and just, you know, the images that you see of feudal Japan are beautiful. The 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 um, fighting um, yeah. is, you know, I thought that was well done. I that was very, very well done. done. Again, there are some of the, the um, ultra violent tropes that you get in Japanese animation. Um, you know, some of the anime, you see that, you know, somebody gets hit by a sword and they just get cut in half, you know, immediately. Oh, blood yeah, sprays just flayed, everywhere. You know flayed, uh-huh. Constantly just blood spraying everywhere. Um, but the actual sword fighting, I thought, is, is really good. Um, and then musically, you know, the score, Flying Lotus, the score. I was, you know, when I found out he was going to be doing the score, I was like, okay, is this going to be you know, beats basically dropped over Japanese Vista, you know, like uh, RZA doing the Kill Bill scores. Exactly. Japanese, um, uh, landscapes, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, is this going to be just beats dropped over that and or over Japanese tableaus? And I, I didn't want to see that. Cause like you just, I've seen that before. I've heard that before, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, I do. I will say that there are times when it does kind of get to that point within the first first couple episodes. But overall, I think the music is beautiful. You know, I think that there's times when in the first episode, when you see uh, Yasuke and he's called uh, Yasin, I believe he's is his code name. He's you know he's in hiding basically. Right. And you see him. He's a boatsman. That's his job. And you see him going on about his day. You know, carrying people up and down the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and the music that plays during that scene, I thought was it just it worked very well. And it was it was a mix of hearing. It was interesting hearing what is inherently black American music, um, which with under, you know, which is derived from African sounds, hearing mm-hmm. that in the context of, you know, this Japanese landscape. And then you see this, you know, Af- you know, this African man, um, you know, on this boat. So it was, it, it, I think it worked. Uh, I don't know how you feel about the music, but I liked it. Um, so far I, I've, I've enjoyed it. So writing, I think episode two was very well written. I think episode one was good, but episode two really stood out to me. Um, mm-hmm. that episode was called the old way. And I thought that the themes and the kind of the underlying message that was, you know, kind of woven through that entire episode, it worked really well and it didn't feel didactic, but it, it was, it was intentionally didactic in my terms, but it, in my view, but it wasn't overpowering, you know, um, this idea of, you know, are the old ways, the best ways, which we'll get to in a minute. So overall though, I'm enjoying it. I'm four episodes in, um, like I said, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I'll just say like this, I'm still engaged. Um, episode two, I think is still my favorite episode. Uh, mm-hmm. But in a six episode mm-hmm. season, I've only got two more to go. So it's going to be interesting to see if they read, you know, if they match that, that um, what they did with episode two again. So we are gathered here today to talk about what is Yazuke's fantasy, you know, because this is obviously a fantasy. You know, like you said, yeah. there's robots flying out of the sky. There's sorcery. There's magic children. You know, there's a lot of those familiar things that we see in all these type of stories. Um, you got the reluctant warrior who has to come out of retirement, you know, to to uh, shave and, you know, tie his hair back up and, you know, do all these mm-hmm. things and come back into the, to the battle. Um, what does this fantasy say about the black future? And particularly, there's a quote in episode two that, that speaks to to our um, to our topic today. And it comes from Yasuke. Um, and he says it to I think he says it to Nasamura. Um, I think it's a flashback sequence um so he says it to nasamura and he says Mm -hmm. you know the past informs our future 
it shows who we are. So Arthur, if that line is correct, the past informs our future, it shows who we are. What does this, this series um, show us about who we are? Because until, and let me just put a little context in that. Most people, until you see this show, had never even heard of this guy, Yasuke. And this is based on a true story. Obviously, there's a lot of fictional elements here, you know, um, not just because of the fantasy aspect, but also because the records, you know, the history books don't have an enormous amount of information on Yasuke. Um, So there's been a lot to fill in those gaps. But we do know that a black man likely from Mozambique, um, Mm -hmm. likely a a member of the, I think it's pronounced the Yayo people, Y-A-O, um, ended up in Japan via the Portuguese, maybe as a Portuguese servant to a, you know, to a priest or a bishop or somebody, a tradesman, somebody, um, ended up in Japan, ended up under the servitude of a, a, a warlord uh, um, named uh, Nobunaga, um, and then ended up being a samurai who served mm-hmm. Obunaga. Um, so, now we know this we didn't you know most people aren't going to be aware of this history until you actually see this show so knowing that past that's why you know that's why we kind of want to ask how does that does that show us anything about ourselves does that show us who we are does that inform our future at all big question to start the show with Arthur it is a big question it is a big question I'll try not to have such a big answer I don't know if I can no we're not afraid of that hit us with the big answer well something that that is almost beaten into you as a viewer um, throughout the episodes is the idea that you are an outsider. Yasuke is an outsider. Mm-hmm. And Yasuke, without, you don't get this from him as a character, but you see that he is excelling in uh, his training as a samurai. He becomes an excellent swordsman. As he takes, and as, as in, in season, in episode two, he takes out not only an opposing general, but what appears to be about six to eight of his men um, with just his single sword and gets absolutely no credit for doing that from <laughs> from his uh, from his uh, uh, group of soldiers that he rolls up there with. Nobunaga's mm-hmm. um, uh, man, yeah. Yeah, and that is a theme that people of color in general in the United States, but black people specifically in the United States have to face, that, that we are, are, are clearly regarded and reminded as being the outsider who really have question, questionable at best, no place at worst. Second place, third place, fourth place. Um, and we're needed only when we're needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the outs- I- I'm kind of hoping that the outsider motif diminishes mm-hmm. as we get further into the series, mm-hmm. um, because I've just seen a I've seen a lot of that, and I know it's important because it's part of it's part of the history mm-hmm. of of Yasuke, um, starting out as a servant mm-hmm. and rising as a significant uh, hero. Um, but sometimes it kind of gets in the way of the story. Mm-hmm. Well, one one note about that though, before you continue, one note about uh-huh. that I think because I wrote down that I wrote that in my notes as well. Black man is the outsider. That's like a constant thing that we're seeing that we see in Western television. I think, and it should be noted that our boy 
Rick Famuyiwa, um, mm-hmm. who we we gave a lot of love to when we did the Mandalorian reviews. He is um, going to helm. He may be. I don't know when they start shooting, but he's helming um, the adaptation, the film adaptation of the book uh, Children of Blood and Bone, which mm-hmm. is a fantasy you know story that is is told amongst where you know you don't have a a black person's outsider. It's a cast of black people, a cast of African people. So mm-hmm. that is, I mm-hmm. think, you know, going to be one of the few times maybe in recent memory where we'll, we'll get that. Whereas to your point, what you usually see is us being the outsider or us being the, you know, um, the outcast or the, the different one, you know what I'm saying? So to speak. Right. And you do right. get that a lot in Yasuke where it's like just the fact that he has black skin, you know, they, you know, Nabunaga had never seen that before. You know, he's like, yeah. you know, scrub him. Is that, is that ink? Like you, did you, ink yourself he's like trying mm-hmm. to figure out you you're, you're, you were born like that because it's mm-hmm. not like he can jump on the internet or he's you know turn on his tv and see you know black people he's never seen this before mm-hmm. um so there is that you know constant you know reinforcement of he him being the outsider so i think are you saying though it's gotten in the way of some of the storytelling in your point of view um in some ways yeah mm-hmm. i mean there are some mentions of that in there are there so there there are a lot of flashbacks Right. Um, and it's all, you know, it's always, you're an outsider. You don't belong here. You're an mm-hmm. outsider. You don't belong here. Mm-hmm. I, so I, I kind of feel like I, I, at a certain point we're wasting, we're wasting some screen time mm-hmm. re reinforcing, mm-hmm. you know, that point. And I feel that maybe that time could be better spent to maybe develop more aspects of, of his story. Mm-hmm. So, and I want to come back to that because I have a thought on his, you know, the xenophobia that we see, you know, rampantly, you know what I'm saying, within this, yeah. within these, yeah. this show, even within the first two episodes. But I want to ask you, though, thinking about that, you know, how the past informs our future, which is on the surface is a very basic statement. But on the, mm-hmm. you know, when you actually start to unpack it a little bit, it gets a little bit, you know, more convoluted and 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 um complicated you know when you start really looking at it so but the very existence of this show though to me you know because the second part of yasuke's statement is that you know the past informs our future but then he says it shows who we are Mm -hmm. and again just to go back to what i said earlier when you think about what we the representations that we usually get of us on screen Mm -hmm. in you know 400 years ago you know, this is 400 years ago, over 400 yeah. years ago. Yeah. The representations that we would get on screen, we're not going to see ourselves. If you ask most of us, you know, where would you see someone of our, uh, one of our um, ancestors, Japan is not going to be a place that, you know, somebody's going to name. Mm-hmm. Um, right, 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 right. And much less being a samurai. So I think that this show just by its existence, in my opinion, it kind of opens your mind a little bit. Um, and speaks to, you know, where, where we've gone. And, and, and I thought about when I, Arthur, when I saw this, this, mm-hmm. the first couple mm-hmm. of episodes, it made me think about Ivan Van Sertima's, uh, that came before Columbus, um, a mm-hmm. book I read over mm-hmm. probably over 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. but I remembered reading that book and having my eyes just, you know, my mind just open up as far as in that book when Van Sertima talks about the different explorations and the voyages of Africans, I believe was on the Western coast of the other country of the continent, um, across the Atlantic, you know, into the, the Americas, what would, what would eventually become America's 200 years before Columbus, you know, sailed. Mm-hmm. 
So these type of things open your mind and kind of like, and, and I guess what to Yasuke's point shows us who we are, meaning this was, you know, these are your people. This informs who you are as a person right now in the present. Mm-hmm. And I, it, I thought about that. And then I also thought about um, my guy, Raul Peck, who just recently did um, exterminate all the brutes on uh, HBO max. Wonderful. Um, documentary series if you guys haven't seen it check it out it's on hbo max right now um raul peck is the same document filmmaker who did uh i'm not your negro um james baldwin's uh uh biographical documentary from a few years ago so raul peck in that in that i think it's in the second or third episode of that um docuseries he says arthur there's this beautiful moment where he, he shows you his some you know images from his family you know just like snapshots and different little film clips from his family on vacation. And then he shows you other things that happened, um, you know, over the course of black history, over the course of, you know, I don't know, a hundred years or whatever, but he's basically doing this. He's talking over this and he's asking, mm-hmm. he's basically walking through different things that impacted him as a human being. And he ends it by saying, you know, who am I, you know, am I this, mm-hmm. am I that, who am mm-hmm. I? And he, I think he even there's a refrain where he says, you know, who am I? And, I thought about that as I was looking at Yasuke and this statement, you know, that our past informs our future. It shows us who we are. I thought about Raul Peck. I thought about him, mm-hmm. you know, that refrain. I thought about the mm-hmm. idea and the concept that just knowing, you know, this little bit of uh, history of the past, you know, of this, um, this black man, you know, standing in Japan, becoming a warrior, becoming a samurai, um, that little bit of, of history informed me to some degree. And I wonder what it means for the future. So I wonder what, I wonder what it meant to tell me about who I am, you know? Hmm. Um, so I, I think that, you know, and, and like you said, just to wax poetic about all of these things. And I think there is some poetry in what Yasuke said. Um, I think this, this, this kind of part of the reason that LaShawn Thomas and his crew created this show was to just kind of shine a light on a little, a little bit of this, this part of the past in order to speak to our future. And that's kind of what, in terms of science fiction, isn't that what Afrofuturism does, you know, put placing us in the future and giving us, um, some idea of how we're going to get there, um, or how, how we live here in the present. Uh, so what do you think about, I talked for a million years right there. What do you think about all that? Yeah. You know, I respect your truth. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do. I, I, I get it. Mm -hmm. And um, partly I know that you're two episodes ahead of me. So Mm -hmm. you're speaking with some with a fuller knowledge of 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 the series than I have. Mm -hmm. And I know that with what I'm saying, it appears that I'm not enjoying the show. I feel pessimistic about it, which which I don't. I do reserve the fact that, okay, we're two episodes in and we do have to clearly establish, you know, some themes. Okay, you know what I can say. So, mm-hmm. the idea of the displacement, mm-hmm. the idea of something that we don't really experience this way now, where now it's if you want to, you could be born in a place and live your entire life in that one place. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, if you decide, be born in California, move to Illinois you know, and sort of be displaced 
but not necessarily completely disconnected from your family. Mm-hmm. What we're really unfamiliar with as, 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 as people that live in the United States in particular, and very likely the, the majority of Western Europe, mm-hmm. of growing up somewhere and when you're like, you know, 10 years old, you're somehow whisked away an entire ocean to a completely different land and mm-hmm. your life changes, you know, and that is a very heavy handed way of demonstrating who, who are you, who, mm-hmm. you know, you, you immediately ask yourself, like, who am I? Where did I come from? You've got no ties to your past because you can't communicate across right. the ocean. Right. Um, and I think that kind of model is um, very useful for telling that kind of story of showing the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Because of, you know, because of that um, displacement, I just, um, I'm just hope. I, I just feel like, I feel like I know enough about Yazuke right now. I want to know more about Saki, the little girl. Mm-hmm. And I also want to know more about Natsumaru, mm-hmm. who is also almost in the same boat mm-hmm. as Yazuke as it relates to the old ways. Yeah, that's interesting. And she you has say some. That. Di- they share some dialogue about that where she's really relate. Like she's basically telling them, like we're you know, we're, we're we're basically the same, yeah, the same because we're both outcasts. Yeah, but I, you know, it's funny, man. I want to know less about Saki because <laughs> her story to me is the most it's the most familiar. Like the whole magic child, chosen one. You know, I'm but like, is that because of? But is, it, is that because of your familiarity with with Japanese anime? I think it's main that, but I think it's mainly my familiarity with you know every story ever told about you know a mm-hmm. protector and a child. You know, it's always this child is uh, special okay. and blah blah blah. So it's like I, I I feel like I like the flashbacks to me have been my favorite part. You know, that's that's been mm, the part. Mm-hmm. And again, and that that quote, you know, the past informs our future shows who we are. That was spoken in the past. That was one of his quotes when he was talking to Nasamura, Nasamura right. Um, right. you know, when he was still under the service of Nawinaga. So mm-hmm. I, you know, that's more of what I want. But I, I mm-hmm. think, though, one thing that this show has revealed to me or kind of like not revealed to me, but kind of given some room to like actually, you know, have a discussion about it or to kind of see it. Is that when we think of for, for one for one thing, this show really kind of um, puts in two different places the idea of slavery and the idea of servitude. And okay, he, uh, Yazuke is called a slave once, I think, in the first two episodes when they go. I think they um, when he they go to to meet the uh, what was the name of the clan. Um, not the Iga clan. I can't remember the name of the clan where he fought. You mentioned it before. They fought in the snow. Yeah, he killed everybody. Uh-huh. Killed everybody. So when they go to meet that clan, that guy calls him a slave, you know, but right. for yeah, the most yeah, part, yep. he's referred to as a servant, you know, the servant mm-hmm. who became a samurai. And I remember, Arthur, I can't remember what book it was or if it was, I can't remember if it may be even a documentary. I think it was a book that I read a long time ago that really spoke to the fact that when we think of slavery or servitude as Westerners in particular America, we're thinking of, you know, the transatlantic slave trade and, you know, the horrific wiping of identity and horrific, you know, the genocide, basically, you know, that Mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. And there's been it sounds almost cruel or um, unfeeling to say this, but it's the truth is that there's been many different forms of slavery throughout human history. And 
very few, of, if any of them, compared to the horrific nature of the transatlantic slave trade. You know, just there was, you know, many and many cultures, slaves were treated more like servants, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Or there was indentured servitude, you know, where you could actually earn your way out of it. Um, and I'm not trying to, to you know, lessen the, uh, the, the degree of that, you know, of that crime. I'm not trying to do that at all. But I'm just speaking to the fact that this is what, you know, this is this is the truth. There were just many different forms of it. And so seeing this in this show and the way that he's almost referred to as a servant more so than a slave, because when you when I first started watching this again with those Western eyes, you're thinking of slavery, you know, of, as it was practiced here in the Americas. Oh, um, I see whereas, your point. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, it, when you see the flashbacks, it's something different because he basically goes from being a servant to this Portuguese cat to being a servant to Nabunaga as part of their um, the business deal between the Portuguese and the Japanese. Mm-hmm. And then at some point he wins his freedom from Nabunaga or earns it or whatever and becomes a samurai, which samurai in itself is a servant. You know, I believe mm-hmm. I believe part of the, 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 um, the translation of samurai is servant. So that was interesting to me, you know, and that's something again, that by seeing this past, even in this very fictionalized context, mm-hmm. um, it shed a light that I hadn't seen before, you know, in, uh, in popular media or hadn't seen much of. Then there's also the idea of xenophobia versus racism. Mm-hmm. We don't get, we get some racism, I think in this, in this, these first couple episodes, but it's more so to the point that you're making It's more so outright xenophobia. He is an outsider. He does not know our culture. Like they right. keep saying that, you know what I'm saying? Right. That is, this is not our way, especially in episode two. Um, right. It's and not that they our won't way. accept him because he has not, he does not have that prerequisite. Right. He's not, he's not Japanese, you know what I'm saying? So he can't mm-hmm. be, he, he can't mm-hmm. do this, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when they roll up and it's like, they, we brought our seven samurai homeboys. Mm-hmm. I know like, you have two. You have, no, he says you have five samurai. Cause mm-hmm. you know, I see five samurai. I see a slave and a woman. You know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Again, uh-huh. is not our way. Our culture does not allow women to become samurai. Our culture does not allow outsiders to become samurai. So, and I'm not absolving the show of racism or absolving, you know, anyone, mm-hmm. any of the characters, or even Japanese culture in general of any racism because I'm, you know, I'm not absolving them. But what I am saying is that it's the xenophobia that's on front and center. They don't say you can't be a samurai because you're black. They're like, you can't be a samurai because you're an outsider because you're not Mm -hmm. Japanese. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't care if you was black, yellow, green, you can't be a samurai. So that was interesting to me. But I think despite, you know, there's just a lot of fictional elements that take place in this series, of course, but I think that there's a, and I think this kind of might speak to what you were saying earlier there's a, a globalization. It just, it, it broadens your mind a little bit about the black experience in the world, you know, and not just mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. what we perceive happened in, on, in the, on the African continent and what we perceive happened or we know happened on the American continent. It gives you an idea of this is 400 something years ago. And, you know, we're seeing the interaction between someone from Mozambique and someone from Japan, you know, which is different. You know, that's something we don't usually get. I can throw a brick out my window and hit a hit a movie that shows a white man as outsider in a, you know, a Western or Eastern Asian culture. We mm-hmm. talked earlier about um, The Last Samurai, Tom Cruise's yeah. movie. Um, and in the 80s, there was a there was a very famous miniseries called Shogun. Shogun. Yeah. Um, very recently, Matt Damon was in uh, what was it? The, uh, I forgot the name of the film, but it was basically him. And, you know, he was on the Chinese, the, you know, the wall, the Great Wall of China. 
Oh um, yeah. So again, you know, we there's there's been dozens and dozens of movies about white men as outsiders within Eastern Asian culture. Here, for one of, if not the first times, I'm seeing a one of the first times. I can think of a few more, but one of the first times you're seeing a you know a black man in Eastern Asian culture, and it's based on a true story. That's I'm like, how yeah. you know how does this never happen before? You know, we've never seen this story before. This is based on a true story. So that all that to me is interesting. Um, and I think it, that's part of that whole, you know, past informing our future shows us who we are. It broadens our mind about our experience in the world. You feel me? I do. And let me so let me ask you. So the because oh, I want to get back to the robots. <laughs> so I'm sorry you said that right while I was drinking some water. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get them on the mic though. But yeah, I feel you 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 up on these robots. Okay, let's talk about the robots. Let's go. So the fantasy angle and the animation angle, do you think that that the style of animation, the animation in general, but the style of animation in particular made it easier to tell this story? And I'm thinking I'm thinking about I'm thinking about Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about the Miles Morales as the quote unquote BIPOC Spider-Man, mm-hmm. how that was, it was a very good film, a very good story. I mean, we've, we've done entire shows just on how good that film is, right. Spider-Man and the, the Spideyverse. And, uh, but to put that story on film might not even get made. Mm. Because of the perception that black audiences wouldn't come to see, you know, a superhero film. Mm. Mm-hmm. But but so to do it as an animation, you know, sets the bar lower. Mm-hmm. It's cheaper to make. It doesn't have to do as well as the back box office. In other words, if it even does this well, it's a hit, even though it's not going to make a billion dollars because that would be the metric, you know, in the actual film mm-hmm. on screen world. Is Yasuke that kind of medium in order to tell this story. And, and I'm not discounting the fact that, uh, that LaShawn Thomas has a proven track record mm-hmm. in animation because he also did the Black Dynamite uh, Adult Swim series as well. Um, but I, I do, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I do think that, okay, maybe, you know, he saw an opportunity. He knew that he was in the lane that he could actually get this done. Mm-hmm. Let me shoot my shot. I think that, you know, and we've talked about before how um, the fact that Black Panther made a billion dollars and there aren't, you know, studios weren't falling all over themselves to get, you know, their version of the Black Panther out the next day. We've spoken about how that speaks to Hollywood's racism, you know, because it doesn't, you know, anytime something makes a billion dollars, what does Hollywood do? They, ch- they try to churn out, you know, exact replicas at that point. Yeah. But for a Black Panther to come out, what was that, three years ago now? Um, yeah, that was 2018. yeah. So, yeah, so three years ago now. And pandemic notwithstanding, the fact that, you know, there hasn't been a rush. I mean, we know we've seen more black characters show up, so on and so forth. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to say there hasn't been any type of um, advancement of... Uh, seeing more and more black characters come out, you know, of, of Marvel and DC and so forth. But it, 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 putting that aside for a minute, you know, just putting that our, our gripe with that, putting that aside for a minute, I think that there was a shot, I think, had Chadwick Boseman lived in, um, 
had the pandemic not happened, there probably was an opportunity at some point that this would have become a live action film, uh, mm-hmm. Yasuke. Mm-hmm. And I say that because for a few reasons. One, Western culture and in particular youth culture and in particular black culture, black youth culture has had a love affair with um, Japanese culture for a few decades now. You know, saying hip hop, mm-hmm. you know, has a strong connection, has a strong influence on youth, Japanese youth culture. Mm-hmm. Um, Chinese culture been, as well. Yes. Yeah. Chinese culture as well. But there's been a kind of a, a give and take, a kind of a mutual kind of like collaboration between in particular between um, Japanese culture, um, Tokyo and mm-hmm. many aspects of hip hop culture, you know, saying mm-hmm. and, and not just music, but in fashion as well. So there's that. And also samurai martial arts samurai ninja chinese martial arts all these things have been very popular you know saying within our community for a long time we can go back to um bruce lee we can go back to um kung fu theater on usa back in the day we can go back to um what was the film with uh leroy jones uh uh, the the black uh member of the black not the black samurai but the black martial artist um with uh show enough you know what i'm talking about um, oh you're talking about the last dragon yeah last dragon with vanity see i should have just said that that would have got you right away yeah i mean it's um, show enough <laughs> but with vanity so all these all these kind of things samurai you know has been you know the the that aspect of of eastern asian culture has been popular with us for a very long time mm-hmm. bushido the code of the samurai is something that mm-hmm. you know um it's, it's held up as with great interest not just with our community but with western communities as a whole so all these things I think would have eventually led or may still lead, you know, to a live action thing. Anime, there's such a strong tradition with anime. You know, anime is its own thing. Um, okay. There's certain things that you could do in, that you do in anime that you would never do in live action. Mm-hmm. So I think that LaShawn and LaShawn Thomas, I haven't done a whole lot of research on his brother, but the cursory research I've done, this that's his world. You know, that's how that's his that's where he is. is he, he's an artist. He's an anime artist. And so I think that his way of telling the story, his interest in the story and his way of telling the story was going to be through anime. I don't think he was going to do a live action. I think he he perceived this as an anime story right. and bringing in those anime tropes, you know, the sorcery, the robots, all those types mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was his way of telling this. Now, in my opinion, though, that you didn't ask me this, but just throw this out there. I do think sometimes for me, at least the whole, you know, the robots and the sorcery, it kind of takes away from the story a little bit in the sense that the core story of Yasuke and his, um, his shame, um, his, uh, reluctance to become, you know, to be drawn back into, into battle, basically, Mm -hmm. um, his, his, his fight against his past, his, um, you know, his life as an outsider in in a culture that is not his own, all these things, those are much more interesting to me. The article that you sent yeah. me from the New York Times, that writer, um, I forgot his name, he spoke to these things in his article, and I, I agreed with him mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that those, the, you know, diving into the character of Yasuke is much more interesting to me than some of these more familiar tropes that we're getting. Um, but I don't know. Did I answer your question? I think I did. But, but I, No, I think you did. I think you did. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, the I think that the, the spectacle of it, and I'm, I wonder, you know, it's like, it's like does 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 traditional Japanese anime format dictate that we need robots and wizards? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a funny kind of way, but I mean that in in an authentic 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 way. Right. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't know 
I don't know yet why Yasuke is as broken as he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do know that he likely feels with just p- the pain of his benefactor. Um, mm-hmm. Nobunaga. Um, Nobunaga uh, 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 killing himself mm-hmm. and Yasuke needing to behead him that he may have an honorable death. Um, that that's going to do something to him. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I get that. But what I mean is I don't know anything from a cultural standpoint mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me why ask he's... Because he feels shame. It seems right. like he feels shame more than anything else. Yeah, and I, I don't Even know guilt. if it was in... I think it was in episode two where he, he utters out loud, you know, I let you down. And I think he's talking because he keeps having these nightmares. So yeah. I think he's talking to Nabunaga. But let me ask you this, though. You bring up, you know, you brought up this, the fantasy element and, you know, the, the, um, I mean, cause the story is highly fictionalized, obviously it's based on a true, you know, it's based on sure. true events, but sure. it's highly fictionalized. So does that to kind of get back to the, to the core of this episode, the question that we asked in the cold opening, does that fantasy element take away from kind of what this show is doing is as far as like we sort of said informing us of our history telling us who we were in the past to kind of help us envision our future does that fantasy element pull away from that is it too fantastical or is it is it is it fine for you to deal with those fantasy elements but still you can still kind of see the the realism and the authenticity in it i guess i have to get through it like i well, just know, in the I, first I, two I, episodes like, what do you think about the in the first two episodes well, I I, th- I thought the I thought the opening sequence was great, mm-hmm. um, even without the context of of, of the robots, because I figured, okay, cool, we're, we'll you know we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the assassins, the priests, assassins, and especially you know nine foot wolf lady, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it did kind of feel like okay, I just have to sort of like get through this. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't feel like we needed her because we had the other woman assassin um who was like really you know throwing down mm-hmm. as good as if not better than wolf lady was because she was like giving it to yasuke in the <laughs> in the in the in the in the you know in the bar mm-hmm. you know um it does sometimes get in the way mm-hmm. um and it's like okay okay fight sequence okay great let's just get through right this so that's, that we can get yeah. to yeah. where's the where where'd the girl go you and know that's, that's how i felt as well is that there was it did feel like, okay, another fight sequence or another, you know, it felt a little obligatory, you know, where, but I, I will say, I think that not to answer for you, but I do feel that that element of it, not just the battles, but again, the fantasy element of it hasn't completely taken away, you know, that idea of telling a part of our history that we don't know about or telling or revealing to us a layer of pathos and someone who lived, you know, Mm-hmm. 400 something years ago that mm-hmm. a certain type of pathos that we may still you know feel today because like you said you started off talking about the outsider now you said yeah. you're, you're, you're kind of sick of seeing that or you know it's felt a little too familiar i just felt like you were hitting me over the head with it right but it is a a theme that we can even relate to today as as um, minorities true, true, in this country true, and more true. specifically arthur let's not to get it all personal and shit but or put our business out there but as two people who have navigated in, or, or who spend a lot of time in rooms, professional mm, rooms, mm-hmm, where yeah. we may be the only person of color in that room 
or in that mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. The idea of being the outsider is something that, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that reflected in a black man who lived 400 years ago and have that same mm-hmm. thing resonate today, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and the fantasy element is interesting to me how the fantasy element co you know, coexists with that, you know, like you say, he's fighting wolf people, but at the same time, yeah we're getting the sense of he's the black boatsman in the town. That's how he's known. It's like, right. you know, what's his name? I don't know. He's just a black boatsman. You know what I'm saying? He's, right. that, he's that black dude. It's like, right. and then but, it also, but nobody's, nobody's changing that narrative. Like, well, also it's also, he it, getting it, his ass kicked by, you know, morphing wolf people in, you know, and another black <laughs> man that nobody ever seems to, Oh my God, there are two. Like nobody says that, you know, but it was interesting. To conjure it was, up the it was spiritual, really interesting though. It's really interesting that when the other brother shows up, what did they, when the guy's like, I thought you were the only black man, you know, in Japan. Are they related? Are they related? Bruh, wasn't that, that was so real. That was real, actually. That was so <laughs> That was actually real. super real. Yeah. That was so real. 400 years ago and today, still, still the same, you know, two black people. Oh, you, do you know him? You know, is that, do you know, yeah. are, you, are you connected? So I guess I feel that, I, I guess I feel that sometimes the fantasy is, is, is a glue that is being over applied mm-hmm. to to piece the story together. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, can, I'm two shows in, so maybe that starts to subside. Or, I, can, I can see. I get your point, though. And I, I think that, again, leaning on those, you know, the Japanese anime traditions, you know, and leaning into them in some ways, I can I can definitely understand because it's like the novelty of seeing a black samurai in those same traditional scenes that we've seen other characters in Japanese characters in like countless times there's a novelty to seeing a black samurai in that so I can understand why the showmakers are like you know yeah we need to see a brother kind of lean into that yeah yeah Uh black samurai fighting a you know a nine foot wolf lady and a robot you know in feudal Mm -hmm. Japan that's dope you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah who's Russian by the way because she asked for vodka and the bartender's like I don't. I have no idea. About it. It <laughs> right. was nothing to me. <laughs> that was a hilarious that. scene, right? And then she walks out with the dude. He's like, "That must be vodka." Like, that was <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. Um, but let right. me go ahead. Let me go build ahead. on something that you had brought up um, uh, earlier. Um, the I, the old ways and how it's not so much about it's not it's more xenophobic than it is racist. Mm-hmm. And that because you're not Japanese, you can't do Japanese things. And the way that the series spotlights this desire to hold on to culture in these different ways, you know, is this, uh, to use a, a term that, that, that you use so well, didactic? Is this, is this you know, a, an obvious teaching moment? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is. And, and, and I think that it's done very well because instead of taking the route of saying, you know, holding on to the old ways is just bad because in, mm-hmm. in the sense of, especially in his flashbacks where it's like, I think it's an episode two, which is called the old way where, you know, he has the conversation with, um, Nabunaga's other general. And then he's like, you know, in my day, basically the general's like, in my day, you and home girl would never even be, you know, you, you would still be a servant, you know, servants are servants, mm-hmm. you know, it's like mm-hmm. you would still be a servant. Mm-hmm. She'd be, somebody's wife or she'd be cooking or whatever, you know, she wouldn't be a samurai. That's crazy. <laughs> she'd be you know? in the kitchen. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and then, you know, Yazuke is just like, well, maybe the old ways need to be let go of, you know, and mm-hmm. Nabunaga and incidentally, very, very interesting, man. There's a, 
um, Netflix documentary called The Age of the Samurai. This one that's also available right now. I just coincidentally mm-hmm. I started watching it like two months ago. I haven't finished it yet because I got sidetracked. Um, but it's basically the first half of that documentary deals with the rise of Nabunaga. You know, hmm. um, mm-hmm. it's a very westernized documentary, like, you know, 90 some percent of the people they talk to, you can tell they got from like University of Chicago or somewhere. But it's, <laughs> also, it's also um, it's just interesting because it does detail his the fact that Nobunaga was a very because this takes place during a time period um, in feudal Japan. Central government has fallen. So you have all these di- I think they're called daimos or daimos. Um, basically warlords, you know, who are fighting mm-hmm. for, you know, um, they're, who are fighting over their territories. And imagine a huge gang war, you know what I'm saying? Like the whole neighborhood mm-hmm. used to be unified under the Corleones or something. They leave. Now you got all these gangs, you know, um, trying to fight, you know, for power over um, the block. And mm-hmm. I use the Corleones only because I know that everybody's familiar with that. Everybody's familiar with the Corleone event. Right. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, Nabunaga, he's this, this uh, other documentary in the age of the samurai, it really details how non-traditional he was willing to be you know in order Mm -hmm. to win he did a lot of non-traditional stuff he was basically a tactical genius you know because it was like he would throw tradition out the window and just try new shit and in that it must be known it must be noted that in that documentary there's no mention of yasuke you know he's or at least to i've watched i think a good you know 60 percent of that documentary series and i haven't heard you know nothing about no black samurai Mm-hmm. Um, again, which points to the fact how important it is um, for cast like LaShawn Thomas to do to get the opportunity to do what they're doing. Um, but I do think that, you know, there is that aspect of the old way and culture being shown almost in a negative light, like mm-hmm. um, or not almost, but definitely in a negative light, you know. But there's also a good balance because it also the show also shows how holding on to culture and values within that culture are a good thing, because the whole reason mm-hmm. that Yasuke agrees to take the girl on the journey and to accompany her and who he thinks is her mother on that journey in episode one is because of his culture, not as a, not as a samurai, not as a outsider in Japan, but his culture in his own country, which, right. which I, I believe is we're supposed to assume is probably uh, Mozambique. Mm-hmm. His culture, he says, where I'm from is one village, the one village uh, theory, basically. In other words, he says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he says every adult person, their responsibility is to take care of all the children. So it's not just your kids, yep. any yep. children in the village, all the adults look out for that kid. And Arthur is very interesting because you've, every generation of black Americans, you've seen that at its peak, probably with, you know, our great, 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 great grandparents. And as you as time has gone on, the more that we stay in this country, in my opinion, we 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 starting more and more to lose con- contact with those um, basic principles of you know a lot of African tradition. You know mm-hmm. the, the one village mm-hmm. thing is not. There was I saw aspects of that when I was a kid. You know in America. You know with the yeah. way that my mother and her friends and my father and his friends looked after other people's kids. You know or um, on the street. You know how you know if you got in trouble at somebody's house that parent would, you know, discipline you to some degree the same way your parents may discipline you or they would look after you the same. You know, it was like that one village thing. Whereas, and even when I was a kid, I remember my parents emphasizing more. They would say, oh, well, back in my day, it was even more so, you know. So it's like, yeah, it's lessened even in from my parents to me. And now I see a lesson from in the last 20 or 30 years 
So the longer we stay in this country, the more we lose contacts of, quote unquote, the old way. So, mm-hmm. again, I've talked for a million years, but I just I, 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 I'm saying that Yasuke's kind of um, uh, his affirmation or his his belief in his own traditions and his culture is held up as a positive, whereas the flashbacks that you see and kind of the um, the mistreatment placed upon him in Natsumora is a negative. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, th- those that's a result of culture in this negative light. So it's it's a balance. And I think that the show does it very well. And I think to answer your original question, yeah, I think it is didactic and I, I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, something that I really like the detail that they added uh, in episode in episode two in flashback that kind of gave uh, Yasuke's origin story. Um, he comes to the defense of he's he's clearly in his servant role. Um and he comes to the defense of a child who literally is about to be murdered mm-hmm. by a swordsman. Mm-hmm. And um, when the swordsman turns his attention on to Yasuke to fight him, Yasuke, you know, squares up with his fists. <laughs> right. <laughs> Y'all can't see Arthur right now. Arthur is in, in the stance. <laughs> Right, and I right. thought that that was a nice touch mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it's like, look, man, you know, all that sword karate <laughs> lifestyle that only works with somebody else who knows that stuff. Deal, right. Let's let's de- let's see you deal I with wonder, these hands. And I, I wonder if if and maybe, you know, LaShawn Thomas will speak to this, but I wonder if that's, you know, the fighting style that Yasuke exhibits. Yeah. Was that taken from the Yao people or is that, I, you know, yeah. where did where did that come from? Because it is interesting, the style that he has before he becomes samurai. Um, when he takes that dude out, it's like, yeah, uh-huh. you're right. He squares up and he has his own little bounce and everything. It's, it's yeah. interesting fighting style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, okay. So, uh, before we close, how do you feel, how do you feel about Lakeith Stanfield? His voice um, work? I feel, yeah, we are running late. I, I feel that Lakeith, he's, he's very understated, you know, Lakeith just as an actor in general. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He, yeah. He's, he's yeah. very subtle. And I think it works here. Um, it did throw me off at the beginning because I was hearing him. Like, I was hearing Lakeith. I wasn't seeing, hearing Yazuke. I was hearing Lakeith Stanfield, you know. But then yeah. probably midway through episode one, I got used to it. And it didn't it didn't throw me. What does kind of concern me, though, is that, man, this is a six-episode season. This really, for an anime series that's only 30 minutes an episode, it really probably needs to be 12 episodes, like, minimum mm-hmm. for a season. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, if this gets renewed for season two and they want to bump up the episodes, can they afford Lakeith Stanfield? Lakeith is, you know, Lakeith is on his way to A-list. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. That's the only thing that really concerns me. But I, I, I dig him. Um, I like him. Do you have problems with him voicing this character? I don't have a problem. Um, I do feel that a lot of what makes... Like he's worked for me mm-hmm. is his visual because mm. his his the way you know his 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 facial expressions mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. body language goes along with his dialogue mm-hmm. um but I think about how i think okay going back to um Spideyverse mm-hmm. you know how um miles's father it's like the voice fit the demeanor mm. of the animated right. character the voice carried the whole the whole persona of that character yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and and the the 
the to put it on the animators, Yazuke's animated style mm-hmm. doesn't fit mm. like Keith's voice and delivery. Mm. There there is a bit just just it you know what it is it's it's just a polish, right. I feel like maybe right. a fine tuning. Well, you know what? We obviously we're going to check back in on this series once we both finish it. Oh, yeah. Um, so we'll, I, I'll be interested in seeing after you watch a few more episodes if you still feel that way. Because um, like I said, I kind of it, it threw me at first, but not for it threw me for different reasons, I think, than it mm-hmm. threw you. And, and like mm-hmm. I said, by episode midway through episode one, I was cool. But yeah, let's let's check back in on that and see how you feel after, you know, after you finish the series. So All we right, will. Right. Um, yeah, we'll, we're going to wrap up now, but we will. We uh, be talking about Yasuke again. I, I would encourage all you guys to go out. Um, you should never <laughs> listen to this if you haven't seen the first two apps. But regardless, um, check out that series and uh, come back here. We're gonna probably do a wrap up um, and, and talk about the entire six episodes um, once both of us have finished it. This is Arthur. That is Isaac. Follow us uh, on Twitter. Oh, you can't really follow us, but you can talk to us on Twitter. Hashtag mad unreal. Um, we do ask that you follow us on Spotify. We're available there and that you subscribe to the show and then you can subscribe anywhere and everywhere else that find our SS feeds are consumed. See you next show. Peace. Keep it unreal.